Today on Ag News Daily. Everything was done by hand, horses, uh, teams of horses, and what we call half slips or uh, uh, diggers, things like that, to move the soil. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is Madison Honkamp reporting for the Ag News Daily podcast, and today I am joined by Mike Pearson. Mike, how are you doing? I am wonderful, Madison Honkamp. It is a beautiful day here in the Windy City, working with growers across the country. And I tell you what, it is an interesting day in the markets, as we'll get to here in just a little bit when we discuss the markets during our market update session. Yes, we definitely will. What are you up to today, Madison? I have just been chilling at home, working up from my computer. It's been great. Well, good. It's good to have a relaxing day like that after a busy week. Yes, definitely is. But what's jumping out at you on the news, Mike? Well, you know, that's a great question. And I don't think we've talked about this. And I wanted to make sure I got it out there. Uh, USDA has released a new online tool to help farmers and ranchers kind of go through all of the data out there at USDA on which farm loans might work best for their operations. Um, so if you are a, a grower who is interested in, you know, learning about what kind of low interest rate loans and things are out there, go to farmers.gov. And from there, you can go to, well, just go to farmers.gov slash fund, click the start button, and that'll kind of take you through a series of questions designed to figure out what it is you need the money for or, or how they can best assist you. And then they'll point you right in that uh, that right direction, which hopefully will cut down on your time at uh, the FSA office, which is always a good thing. Yes, that definitely is. I I know a lot of people always wonder what kind of loans to get or what would work best for them. So that's really good. Yes, it is. How about you? What is the news in the world of medicine? Well, speaking of USDA, I know we played that clip from Secretary Purdue yesterday um, that Delaney was able to get talking about SNAP and MFP MFP payments, lots of different things, but kind of an update on SNAP. Um, Again, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, they are really cracking down on requirements to have, to be able to be involved with the SNAP program. And a lot of people are saying, you know, this may worsen hunger within the United States. And right now, the typical gross income limit for SNAP is at 130% of the federal poverty level, which is about $27,000 per year for a family of three, as well as they do have the ability to also be up to $42,000 for a family of three per year. And they're really kind of, they're snapping or cracking down on this. So we have less people kind of, you know, working the system. I know Um, that was kind of one thing that Secretary Purdue wanted to crack down on. And overall, the tightening of the policy would cut about 3.1 million from the program that's saving taxpayers about 1.9 billion dollars per year as well as savings would actually total about 2.5 billion dollars per year and that sounds great and you know like a taxpayer's perspective or when you're you know writing that check for those for these programs but in reality that might 
bite us in the butt almost because, you know, some people really do need this program, but they aren't able to because they don't meet the right requirements. Um, but also, it does mean that grocery re retailers could lose about $3 billion <laughs> annually in sales, according to the USDA's analysis. So we'll see how yeah. this kind of plays out. I think they're more testing it to see, you know, how it works before they really um, put it into motion. But okay. I know Purdue did say that he really he does want to crack down on those people that are more playing the system and not they don't really need these snap benefits sure and you know the question is always how do you determine who needs them and who doesn't so hopefully this is just a trial and maybe we'll learn a lot from it yeah hopefully all right well you know speaking of trials there is a trial going on in china right now not a legal trial but an attempt at something new so there was a group of five crushers in china who were told last Friday that they could apply for exemptions from the 25% tariff that the Chinese government has put on soybeans from the US. The idea is that by giving these, you know, quote unquote, private Chinese firms the ability to buy without a tariff, maybe will warm up relations a little bit with the US, maybe make uh, President Trump a little happier if we can actually get some beans bought. However, it has been almost a week since this deal was offered to these companies, and so far nobody has taken advantage of it. They're just, I, I guess, not that willing to make purchases of U.S. sourced beans, given what's already out there. I did kind of see that, um, especially with you know Beijing saying that they wanted to buy so many t metric tons of beans and then kind of backing out almost. Right. Yes, exactly. They've they've moved a few, mm -hmm. uh, few orders around. Um, they've pushed back some deliveries. Mm -hmm. I think the uh, African swine fever issue is is definitely hitting that country and it's uh, crushers in particular. Oh, yes, definitely. Um, but then again, speaking of China, I know we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier this week, but U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer is in Shanghai. Um, Monday through today, I get, and is hoping to kind of speak with Chinese about purchasing more American farm goods as a goodwill gesture and really reopening those trade talks and kind of getting back on track. All right. Yes, I did see that. They're going to be in-person mm -hmm. meetings, which is always mm -hmm. a good sign. Well, it's yes. not necessarily a bad sign. Well, I always think that in-person meetings are a little bit better because it's not over the phone and... Like, I don't know, I like face-to-face -face meetings when you're talking about something, like, important, rather like, than trying to chat over the phone where some stuff might get cut out or not heard or, you know, all that. Yes. Yes. Well, I've got an update here. Speaking of getting heard, listeners, we've been covering this issue for, I think, pretty much the entire time we've been doing the podcast. And this is the hours of service regulations being pushed by the FMCSA, the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration. Um, with the addition of e-logs to trucks and um, some of the restrictions that would have definitely hammered livestock producers, well, the U.S. Department of, Agri of Transportation rather announced today that they are again seeking public comment on revising the livestock definitions in hours of service regulations. Um, they say that the Department of Transportation 
They've been working closely with the USDA to try to provide some clarity. And uh, Secretary of Transportation Elaine Chao said, quote, the agriculture industry is vital to our nation, and we look forward to receiving input that will help clarify these definitions, improve safety, and offer flexibility to farmers and commercial drivers. So listeners, if you are in the trucking industry, if you are in the livestock industry, and you rely on trucks to get your critters to or from your place, um, uh, log in. Uh, you can go to, uh, well, hold on, I just lost the website. All right. Of course, it is a stupidly long website. It's fmcsa.gov, no, excuse me, .dot.gov slash regulation slash our service slash our service drivers definition agricultural commodity. Or just Google up Department of Transportation hours of service regulations. It'll take you to that website. You can add your comments, pro or con, whatever it is you think that uh, the DOT needs to know before they finalize these rules potentially in the next 90 days. That's really interesting to hear because um, I know my grandpa used to be, he drove a semi truck of grain um, up in Minnesota or in Northern Iowa or Northwest Iowa. And I know he would always basically go overtime all the time. Oh, sure. Sure. Mm -hmm. And paper and logs so back easy. in the day. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, they, yeah. Uh, you know, that's the way to do it. <laughs> I guess so. Madison, do you have any other news for us today? I just have one other thing. Um, so in South Central North Dakota, um, we were kind of worried about, you know, the wheat crop because we had the late plant delayed planting and it was really wet and just a whole jumble of just mess um, with planting season this year. But they have found that their wheat yields are actually being seen above average. So North Dakota is the biggest U.S. producer of spring wheat, which is used to make lots of different breads, pizza dough, and bagels, um, which is good news for me because I absolutely love bagels. But they are seeing a huge just increase in bushels per acre. And this year, they found that the annual tour of the state, they were pegged at 38.6 bushels per acre um, based on the average of six fields surveyed in Stutzman, Morton, and Stark counties. And a year ago, the same tour, they only had at about 34.7 bushels per acre. And the five-year average for that area was actually 33.8 bushels per acre. So We've got a lot more wheat coming out of North Dakota and even more with as they go further east through other counties. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on it. Yeah, Wheat Tour 19 is going on. Mm -hmm. And to, even to add on then, the cr North Dakota spring wheat crop was actually rated 76% good to excellent as of July 21st. And that, again, is an above average rating and that they haven't seen in a while. So some good oh, news go. for the wheat crop. Yeah. Going to have a little bit of a crop up there, which is something they've, uh, they deserve. Yes, they definitely do. Well, I tell you what, Madison, for all of those farmers that are going to have a crop this year, of course, prices matter. Should we see where they wrapped up today in the markets? Let's do it, Mike. All right, folks, and our markets are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group. I'm working for Zaner now. If you want to get in touch with me, just shoot the poop a little bit. We'd love to hear from you. 
you give us a call at 312-277-0050. Let's uh, find a way to manage some of that marketing risk using futures and options. As we take a look at the corn market, the September contract down one and a half at 424 even. December down three quarters of a cent to close the day at 430 and three quarters. Soybeans caught a bid today. The September contract was up four and three quarters at 896 and a quarter. November up four and a half, finishing the day at 908 and a quarter. And the big mover today was Chicago wheat. September contract up 10 and a half cents at 497 and three quarters. The December up eight and a half, finishing the day at 506 and three quarters. In livestock, a little bit of green here in the cattle complex. October live cattle up two and a half cents at 109.90. December up a nickel, finishing the day at 114.30. Looking over at feeder cattle, the September feeder cattle contract up 42 and a half cents to close at 142.8750. In October, up 35 cents, finishing at 143.02 and a half. And in lean hogs, the October contract was down 95 cents at 80.85, with December down 42.50 to close the day at 79.25. The other market that caught a bid today was dairy. The July class three milk contract was up seven cents at 17.47, with the August up a nickel to finish the day at 17.71. Now, without further ado, today's interview is brought to us by our field reporter, Bruce Gorder. So let's turn it over to Bruce. Western Nebraska and eastern Wyoming farmland can be very productive if growers can have access to water. An irrigation system built in the early 1900s serves hundreds of thousands of acres in both states. Last week, there was a tragic breach in the system, and more than 100,000 acres of growing crops are now in jeopardy. Gary Stone is an extension educator with the University of Nebraska's Panhandle Research and Extension Center in Scotts Bluff, and he talks about the system and the tragic breach. Well, the system uh, comprises of uh, three projects that the Congress uh, started. Uh, the first one would be the North Platte Project, clear back in the early 1900s, and uh, that project comprised Pathfinder Dam, Reservoir, Guernsey Dam, and it's uh, water, uh, one power station at Guernsey, but then it also comprised the major water, surface water system that we have here in the North Platte Valley. Now, the engineering feat to me is is amazing because this was all done in the early 1900s after some drought years in the, in the late 1800s, and the engineering to me was just amazing with what they had to work with back there and what they came up with. Absolutely. Uh, they virtually had no power equipment everything was done by hand or with horses uh, teams of horses and what we call half slips or uh, uh, diggers things like that to move the soil to dig the laterals and uh, ditches for this system and also to, uh, to build the dam the pathfinder dam that was uh, built uh, it's actually built out of a uh, granite block and it's really a quite beautiful dam. Uh, if ever people get a chance to get up there southwest of Casper to visit it, it's uh, really something to see. Now, the North Platte River actually has its headwaters in uh, northern Colorado, but uh, the, the main part of this system uh, starts in central Wyoming, as you mentioned, with the Pathfinder Dam. How many, how many dams and reservoirs are in Wyoming on this system? I believe there's a total of seven. Uh, two of those are, three of those are regular fairly small. They just regulate flow out of the larger dams. Uh, 
Seminole Dam would be the one at the upper reaches. Uh, it's about a million acre feet. Cordis comes down, then Pathfinder, then Alcova, then Gray Reef, uh, then Glendo, and then Guernsey. Glendo was the last dam to be put in. Uh, it was put in basically for flood management and uh, also to store ag water to some extent. And they all serve recreational purposes. And also there's, uh, there's some power facilities on, these, on the system, isn't there? Everyone has a power plant. It's kind of ironic. Uh, Pathfinder Dam was the first one to go in, but it was the last one to get a power plant. Now, you mentioned agriculture water. Uh, who, gets, who gets the benefit from this agriculture water? How, how large is this system of uh, irrigation for in Wyoming and western Nebraska? Okay, for the North Platte Valley, uh, it comprises over 300,000 acres of water that's watered with this surface water out of the North Platte River. Now, we I, I had a terrible incident here a week or so ago. There was a breach in, in part of the system. Uh, I don't know if this has ever happened before, but uh, tell us what happened there. Okay, on uh, the south side of the river, well, let's back up. Uh, when they take water out of the river at Wayland Dam, uh, the Pathfinder Water District uh, flows to the north, and then the goshen Garing fort laramie District flows to the south. And it's the south uh, ditch that had the breach. Uh, they have about four tunnels along their system, and the third tunnel down along this system had a cave-in, uh, blocked the tunnel, the water backed up, and then consequently it uh, broke, up, broke over the side of the ditch and back into the river. Now, uh, damage is, is a, a twofold or so, maybe even more than that. But number one, the breach in the water, did the water actually do any damage uh, to any land or property as it uh, came out of the breach? Uh, yes, it did. It pro uh, damaged, they figure, approximately 75 acres of corn uh, flowing back to the river. Now, the main problem is going to be now for the irrigators along this system, and this is a, this is a huge problem out there. Uh, how many acres and, and who is involved in, in uh, this problem? Okay, now the goshen Garing fort laramie uh, water districts take water out of the same ditch. Uh, the ditch just changes the name at the state line. So there are approximately 52,000 acres in Wyoming that will be affected and approximately 55,000 acres in Nebraska that are affected by this uh, breach. Now talk about how important this irrigation system is to those acres because uh, it's actually the, the, the annual rainfall out there is uh, somewhere between uh, 15 and 20 inches in most of the area, isn't it? Well, uh, closer, mostly 14 to 16 inches is, is usually what we get. Uh, this year we have, we're up about three inches above normal. But, uh, yeah, the, the, this ditch with this breach, it is the main water source for all these crops. There are a few groundwater wells, but the, the soil and the subsurface aquifers are hard to find on the south side of the river. There just aren't very many. So the growers on the south side of the river really rely on this surface water source to take care of their crops. What is the uh, hope for the uh, the near term, Gary? Is Are they going to be able to uh, get this water flowing again this season, or are they going to probably go the whole season without irrigation water, which would be a tragedy? Well, uh, we've got a number of conference calls today that we're going to hopefully get filled in on. 
we've heard rumor uh, that they will try and fix uh, the uh, tunnel, uh, try and get water flowing, but it might be three to four weeks be- before they can get water going in the ditch again. And this is a critical time of year, of course. So the water is needed, and and some of the crops, like uh, sugar beets, for example, and corn, they're they're very water intensive. Yes, they are. They do take a lot of water. Uh, we were talking about that amongst our specialists here. Uh, sugar beets are pretty resilient, since they do have a long tap root. They're able to reach down to some of that deeper water. Uh, corn would be the next one. Uh, it, you know, got a fairly deep root system, so it might be able to hang on just a little bit longer. Uh, beets the longest, corn next. Uh, the dry beans, uh, boy, with their shallow root system, without some constant water, uh, they, they could really be in trouble. At this time of year, each week without water can severely reduce the area's agricultural value. I'm Bruce Gorder for Ag News Daily. All right. Well, hey, thanks, Bruce. And thanks, Gary, for taking the time to chat with us. Always interesting things there coming out of the Cornhusker State. With that, Madison, if listeners want to get caught up on past episodes, where can they go to do that? Well, listeners can always find us on the web at globalagnetwork.com slash agnewsdaily. But if they want to get in touch with us, talk news, talk markets, just, you know, chat if they really want to. Um, they can always find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Ag News Daily and at Global Ag Network. Fantastic. Well done. And with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.